Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Um, now, if you know anything about me, you probably know my love for sports at this point, um, but you maybe don't know my absolute love for te- being a part of a team. Um, I, I would say, and some of you probably would agree with this yourselves, I have, I never learned as much in high school, academics and all that stuff, as I did being a part of high school team sports. There's something about it that I think just taught me so much. And I love, I, I feel super old right now. Uh, my daughter is now a high schooler in high school sports, cross country at Craig. And it feels weird to even say that. Uh, yesterday I took her to, to the big cross country meet uh, over at the, the golf course, Blackhawk, I think it's called. Uh, but super fun, just ton, like 50 teams. And just watching what she's learning and the confidence that's, that's just kind of sparking up in her, like there's just something cool about being a part of a team. And you might think as a, for cross country, like, oh, it's just an individual sport. You're just going and running and trying to get your best time. Uh, but you've got all these kids that are on this team with you. And, and unlike any other sport, like they're encouraging you it's so cool because the fans even, uh, you're cheering for everybody even if they're not somebody from the team that you're supporting. There, there's just something cool about being on a team. Um, and it's something that, that I think that we all need to experience. I didn't always get what was beautiful about being on a team when I was younger. Uh, when I was like elementary school age, I'd be playing basketball games and I'm telling you, I kept track of all of my stats for the game in my head the entire game. If you'd asked me at the end of a basketball game, like, hey, how many points do you have? I would tell you, I would know to a T how many points I had in the game. There was one game where all the kids, all the big kids didn't come. They were, they were not at, at the game for some reason for both teams. I'm like, man, I can get some rebounds today. And so I counted all my rebounds for that game. I had like 26 boards at the end of the day for little tiny dude. That's awesome. All right? Still the favorite basketball game I've ever played in my life. But I... I would have been, I probably had a better understanding of what my point total was in a basketball game when I was a kid, more than I knew what the actual score of the game was. Um, but then something happened, maybe, maybe around middle school, the start of high school, and I started to learn it didn't matter how much I did in the game, how many points I had or whatever, if my team lost, it didn't feel good. Uh, losing stinks. Um, it's like that same feeling... That I get every single week when the Vikings send out their kicker at the end of the game to try to kick a game-winning field goal. I hate kickers at this point. We missed another 37-yarder last week. It was painful. See, I like my team to win. All the personal stats, they mean nothing if if your team isn't winning. Uh, Here's another thing. A great team can make a player who personally is less successful... A great team can make that player even more successful. But even worse, a really bad team can make a great player. It can ruin a great player's career. And some of these quarterbacks going to the NFL, and they, they don't have a shot because they get onto an organization that just doesn't, doesn't know how to win. And oddly enough, Jesus ordered his life around a team. He brought 12 somewhat random dudes uh, together, guys who were from different walks of life, different occupations, different skill sets. And for th- between three and four years, 
they did everything together. They, they walked around uh, from city to city together. They would go into homes together. Uh, they'd go fishing together. They'd eat together. Probably upwards of 16 hours a day, these guys were spending time with each other. And they'd be together so much that Jesus actually had to, he'd have to get up early just to get away from these dudes and pray a little while. Uh, but team was, team was a part of the way that Jesus lived his life. And Paul writes uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, he writes about God's desire uh, to bring random people together in the church. People with all kinds of different skills and abilities and to bring it together for something good. And so he writes in 1 Corinthians 12 thir- verses 13 and 14. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now that's the NIV version. I usually read from that. I don't read from or quote the message version very much. For me, it's a little bit overly paraphrased. But there, I'm going to read the message version. It's, it's a lot longer, okay? But what it says, I really, really like. So here's what, what the message version says. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he, Jesus, has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It is the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. I really like what, what that version is, is saying here. This, this passage is saying that when we come to Jesus, something really dynamic is meant to happen. What happens is a lifestyle change. We no longer are living our lives just for ourselves. We don't call all of our own shots in our life. We're, we're playing on a bigger team that has a bigger purpose. What, what we once used to center our life completely on ourselves, now it's, it's centered on something different. Where, where we used to think about ourselves where we weren't good at something or where we were good at something, and that became our source of identity. And now we come into the body, this thing that's super big, it's way beyond us. It makes us more significant and not less, the scripture is saying. We become more significant and not less. You got me? Thank you so much, brother. All right, there we go. Because I hate wires like that. So Jesus lived his life in a team. And he wants us to start to learn to live our lives in a team as well. And sometimes this is scary for us. Like, man, I like to just, I like to be on my own. I don't want to, I don't want to be part of a team. But here's something I want you to understand. A friend of mine said this in a sermon podcast this last week. And it, it kind of, it hit me and it stuck with me. He said, we want the life of Jesus, but we don't always really want the lifestyle of Jesus. I want you to think about that. We, we want the life of Jesus. We want to live like him, but we want the lifestyle of Jesus. And so when it comes down to living in teams like he lived, living in small groups like he lived, ah, that, we don't always want that, but we want the life of Jesus. We are 
gonna this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna highlight uh, some of the ways that Jesus lived in a small group setting. In this lifestyle that he lived with other people. And I'm sure that there's more than three reasons that we could look at, look at today why it's, why it's beneficial for us to live in small groups of people, um, to be connected with other people, but uh, I don't think we need more than three always. But I think God has wanted us to be inspired to get outside of ourselves and to be living in connection with other people. And so here's the first thing that I want us to look at. When it comes to living a team-oriented lifestyle with a small group of people, first thing that we can highlight is this. Jesus wasn't afraid of what was difficult. Jesus wasn't afraid of living a lifestyle that was difficult. One of my favorite passages that, that has Jesus in it uh, is talking from Matthew 17, verses 14 through 17. He says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and he's suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the, the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And then Jesus replies, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. If you've ever been around children before, you've said something like this probably. How long do I have to put up with you not understanding what I'm saying to you? We think Jesus is, because he's perfect, that everything was just easy for him. We think that he didn't get annoyed like annoyance is a sin. Well, if annoyance is a sin, I sin all the time. Because I'm like always annoyed at something. I hope, I hope somebody else feels like that too. But Jesus, Jesus was annoyed at the guys that he was living life with. But he still dealt with people and he did it quite effectively. Living in connection with people, it's, it's far from easy. But the fact that it's difficult doesn't mean that we, we refrain from it. In fact, I think the, the fact that it's difficult means that it's, it's probably actually really beneficial for us. And we should, we should really work at it. But here's the thing. It is going to cost you something to have real connection with people in your life. It's amazing how many times people, people in church life will be like, man, I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like I'm connected to my church. And the truth is, yeah, maybe it's a function of, of that church but maybe it's also a function of we're not willing to go after like actually pay the cost of what it takes to be connected with people it's going to cost us something on the other end of the spectrum so you got those people that man they just want connection like crazy then you've got other people they're like man i just i want to walk in i don't want anybody to say anything to me i just want to sit down i want to listen to a sermon i want to walk out and to be honest with you if you're like that, you treat church like I treat car salesmen. Or like I treat uh, the people working at the Gap. Like I go to the Gap, and somebody's like, hey, can I help you? No, lady. I, I know where the clearance rack is. It's in the back. Let me get there. Like that's all I'm here for. All the rest of your clothes are too expensive. The car salesman, I, I try to go... I try to go into the, the car dealerships like when there might no, not be anybody there. I just want to look at the prices and realize I can't buy it. <laughs> right? But then somebody's out there looking. Oh, like, oh, you like that one over there? No, not really. I was just looking at it. Oh, if you like that one, come and look at this one. It's only $30,000 more. And, but it's got free XM for like a year that you'll never listen to. 
you should, you should come and buy this. No, I don't want to. But we treat the church like that sometimes. Like, I just, I just want to get through. I don't want to have to connect with anybody. Honestly, one of the things that Jesus calls us to, I think one of the most important things he calls us to is that we're supposed to die to ourselves. We're supposed to die to ourselves. And this desire sometimes to just want things exactly how they, we want them to be without any cost. John 3.30, John, uh, John actually says, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I think one of the best ways that we realize that we become disciples of Jesus is that we no longer are living for ourselves, but we are living for others. We, we're not self-oriented, but we are others-oriented. And how do we become that if we're continually doing what is easy and not connecting with people? Especially people that follow Jesus. Living as part of a team, it, it is not easy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require a cost sometimes. But the relationship that we build with people is more rewarding than the other extreme. It's always going to be rewarding. And so Jesus wasn't afraid to do the difficult thing. He wasn't afraid to live with people, even though he, he, he probably could have lived life really perfectly on his own. But when it comes to living a, a team-oriented lifestyle with a small group of people, second thing that we can highlight is this. Jesus wasn't afraid to open up his life to letdowns. He wasn't afraid to open up his life to letdowns. It says this in John 6, 64. Jesus said, There are some of you who do not believe... For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. See, for three years, Jesus walked around with a guy named Judas. Most of us know, even if you don't know the Bible, you've probably heard Judas used as a term of, like, a traitor. Somebody who'll stab you in the back. According to this passage, it seems like Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas was going to betray him. That he was going to stab him in the back. But he still brought him into his inner circle. He trusted him so much. I don't know if trust is maybe the word. But he trusted him so much that he let Judas actually handle the finances for this small group of people. I don't know what Jesus was thinking on that one. That seems crazy to me. Now can I speak to those who have been hurt before? Can I speak in particular to those who have been hurt in the church? By church people? By the church itself? Let's face it, we've, we've all been hurt. In fact, I think we all expect to be hurt at some point. But there's something about when we get hurt by the church or we get hurt by people who follow Jesus. It's a different kind of hammer that hits us when we get hurt that way, right? It stinks. Um, if, I, if I can be a little bit honest right now, the, probably one of the worst hurts that I've ever experienced in my life, it, it, it happened with my home church that I grew up with. Not when I was a kid, it was actually when I was an adult. Um, you know, people that I, that I trusted, that I, that I thought were truly thought of me as friends, it, it didn't seem like it ended up being that way in some ways. And it really, really hurt. <laughs> um, but then I, I take a step back and I look at it and I go, you know what? I'm sure that there's been times where I've been the one in the church who has hurt someone else. And those kinds of hurts, man, they, they are tough to get over. And what happens is, because we experience those hurts, so many people have just said, I don't need a relationship. 
I mean, I might come into a church service, but I don't, I don't really need the relationship. I don't need to open myself up to that. I don't need to open myself up to the letdowns that might happen. Truth is, we are all sinners who have the capability of stabbing people in the back and have the capability of being stabbed in the back. Jesus felt that same kind of stab-in-the-back pain the night that Judas came into the garden, walked up to him, and gave him a kiss on the cheek. And that was the sign to all the guards around that Judas was saying, this guy is the guy that you need to come and arrest. I can't imagine the, the kind of pain that Jesus... Think about any pain that you've experienced from people, and then think about that kind of pain. Jesus brought this guy along for all these years, and he totally sold him out. And Jesus knew from the moment that he invited Judas into his inner circle that that was going to be what was going to happen. But I want you to understand this. He still chose to love Judas. He still chose to treat Judas as his own. i got to be honest with you. I, I think as a church, sometimes we have a tendency to not treat, treat the church as our own. We've experienced hurt, and it's like, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm done. I'm not going to step on, I'm not going to, put myself out there. I'm not, I don't want to be let down. That's not the way to health. That's not the way to growing. You can keep yourself from future pain if you want to. You can say, I'm not going to get close to anybody, so I don't have to get hurt ever. But the truth is, in the end, you are going to be shielding yourself from growth. You're going to be shielding yourself and maybe your family from relationships that actually might matter and might help you and where also you can maybe help others. I want you to understand this because I think that this is really important to get. The moment that we stop opening ourselves up to people and opening ourselves up to the possibility of those people letting us down is the moment that we become secluded and bitterness will proceed to consume us. The moment that you stop opening yourself up to other people, there's a bitterness there. And I want to say this. I, I think that God can do so much with our pain. In our pain, we are in a place of vulnerability. And God can do something with our pain and our vulnerability. But we limit what God can actually do when we have bitterness and a cold heart. That cold heart that has, has become bitter, man, it just keeps out, it keeps out God's work in our lives and the growth that he wants to bring us. And that's why I think that, I think that God would, would probably say, hey, you know what? Keep yourself open. Even if it means a little hurt, it's going to come in once in a while. It's going to be better for you. To this, people are going to let you down at times. But this is also true. We still need people. Every single one of, us, one of us, we need people. Jesus chose to open the door to the person that was going to hurt him. What are ways that you're keeping yourself closed off where you're not opening yourself up to relationships that might matter for you? Again, this comes back to you want the life of Jesus, but are you willing to live the lifestyle of Jesus? Are you willing to live your life in this lifestyle of being with other people? All right, so we see Jesus wasn't afraid of the difficulty of living with people. He wasn't afraid of opening himself up to letdowns. There's a third thing that I want us to look at here. When it comes to a team-oriented lifestyle, living with a small group of people around you, third thing is this. Jesus did team living because the team was better for it. And ultimately, so was his kingdom. Again, this is kind of the whole, it wasn't about himself. It was about the people around him. It was about the kingdom. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, one of the most popular, famous passages in scripture. Jesus came to them and said, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's saying, I spent a bunch of time with you guys, and I, I have taught you. Now, go out and teach other people. Bring other people alongside you and teach them the same stuff. Remember, Jesus took this group of people, 12 guys, who they just, they didn't have a ton of talent. They had, they were fishermen or they were tax collectors. Some of them were awful. Some of them were probably had integrity. And Jesus molded them into this group that if you think about it, without that small group of people that he brought around him, you and me aren't sitting here today. This is a team that that bonded together, and they withstood the test of time. They went out into the world like Jesus told them to do, and they preached the gospel, and people got to know who Jesus was. And years on later, here we are. We're sitting in a church listening listening to the gospel. See, the power of Jesus' message is magnified in groups. You can love and serve Jesus on your own and probably build a great relationship with God. No doubt about it. But there's something about the gospel being magnified when we are in a group of people. See, I think faith is at its strongest and it reaches its furthest when it's being grown in connection with other people. There's something about the excitement of of seeing other people going after God and it makes you want to go after God. Seeing people worship makes you want to worship. Having a conversation with somebody that they say something to you, and maybe you've thought it before, but when it came out of their mouth, it triggered something in your mind that actually brought about some change. Being around people. Man, part of the beauty of forming into groups is realizing it is not all about you. It is about a, it is about a kingdom growth. I think maybe the biggest, the biggest test of us becoming true disciples is, have we become others-oriented rather than self-oriented? Others focused rather than self-focused. Again, that's the lifestyle of Jesus. That's how we get to living the life of Jesus. You might be thinking, you know, I don't, I shouldn't have to hold responsibility to anybody else around me. Because actually what I'm kind of calling us to as, as, a, as a group of believers is we have responsibility to each other. You know, kids in youth group all the time, I'll, I'll say to them, man, we missed you at youth group. Uh, really hope you can get there. What what they don't often understand is what you bring to the table, what you bring when you come into this group of people, it affects everybody else. I say this a lot. C.S. Lewis had this really cool thing that he said about one of his friends. Um, they had this group of friends, and, and uh, one of the, the friends passed away, and he said, I now miss what, what that friend brought out in my other friends. I'm never going to see in this friend what that friend brought out in him. And that's, that's the beauty of why, we are, why we're called to connection with each other. We bring something out of each other that is different than it would be without the other person there. Um, we do hold a responsibility to each other. And just like I can't say as a parent, I can't say, I don't, I don't hold any responsibility to my kids. I don't, I don't have to make them, help them be better people. I'd be a really bad parent if I said that. And my kids would probably be really awful kids. We do hold responsibility to be there for each other, to connect with each other. 
You bring something to the table that nobody else brings. You bring something to the table that nobody else brings for the other people around you. Now, for some of us, the greatest small group that you have and that you'll ever have, it's your family. I I love, I I say this a lot, I think. I love having four kids and having what is considered by these standards kind of a big family with six people. Because it's like we just, we have, we have a group of connection all the time. But what is that small group, that family that you have, what does it look like? Is your family a small group where you are constantly growing together? Where you're constantly pointing to each other to the, to the life of Jesus? See, it's not enough for us to just create homes that are a safe place for the people in our, in our families. We need to create a home that is actually Jesus-centered. That everything pushes back to Jesus. But that's obviously not, I think, the only kind of small group that we're called to have. Jesus, went, he went beyond his family, and he brought a small group around him. That was his life. That was his lifestyle. There's more value than you think in you being a part of the church, being active, being connected. I think that if we're going to live the life of Jesus, this is the lifestyle thing that we've, we need to come to grips with. Jesus had a close group of people around him. Uh, he had a small group. I want to encourage you, what, is it gonna, what would it look like for you to pay the cost of getting truly connected with other people? Worst of you guys can come up. I'm going to be done in a few minutes here. But what, what would it cost you? And the truth is, is we think of the cost, and like, oh, it's going to cost me giving up this night to go and hang out with these people and have a Bible study or, or whatever it might be. But maybe we need to think in reverse psychology. What is the cost of not having that small group of believers around us that we're growing with? Because I think that we're all paying a cost in that way as well. Um, I want to encourage you to be thinking about, and we've been talking about this for a while, but I want to encourage you to think about, well, what happened there? But I want to encourage you to be thinking about getting involved with a small group, having people that you're connecting with on a real basis. Um, Some of the ways that you can do that, you can always bring people around you that you're friends with and just connect with them, have a Bible study with them, watch some Right Now Media, whatever you want to do. Uh, But we've got some things that are already set up for you. Uh, We've got a 9 a.m. right now, 9 a.m. Bible study meeting in room 101 right back there. Um, You can come and then come in for second service and do that. We've got a Tuesday evening Bible study uh, that's going to be starting up in a couple weeks. Uh, There's actually uh, a little little flyer you can take on our guest services table for that. Um, That's going to be at Fox Hills. Mops, mothers of preschoolers, meet here the first Monday night of every month to connect and to grow together. Uh, Central Women, we talked about that earlier, starting up tomorrow night at Fox Hills, meeting every other week, uh, just to get together and and be together, go through some curriculum together. Uh, Central Men, we want to start a group soon. Uh, So men, if you're interested in in being a part of that, uh, come and talk to me, uh, because we want to get a group for you guys as well. Young Adult, we've got a young adult group that meets on Sunday nights. Uh, A couple families, the Brotsmans and the Watsons, they're looking to to start, um, start some meetings in their homes. We've got stuff on our website. You can literally go on the website and do digital growth tracks. And you can go along and and do it with somebody. Maybe you've got somebody, a family member or or a good friend that doesn't even live around here. And you can can do that stuff with them online. There's so many, in our day and age, there's so many ways to connect. Um, And if you're not connected, I want to encourage you, find ways to start to connect. 
find people that you can connect with because there's something about connecting with other people that matters. Living like Jesus, it, it's not easy. He, he took these 12 companions, and for three years, they spent almost all the time together. Probably spent waking hours, like 17,000 hours together, roughly. And we're told that about 10,000 hours is what it supposedly takes to become an expert at something in life. Well, these guys, they hadn't become experts at following Jesus. We saw when Jesus, uh, when Jesus was crucified, they, they kind of split off their separate ways for a little while. They didn't get it all. We need more than one hour in church every week. We need time together. So I'm going to ask you, how can you be more intentional with the small group that is your family? Does it look like in your family like you guys are connecting in a way that matters, in a way that is pointing you all to Jesus a little bit more? How can you become more intentional and find a group of people in the church, in the, in the universal church, the, the, the big church with a big C, all, all Christians included in this? doesn't just have, even have to be just Christians in this building. How are you connecting with people in the church? My thing is I figure if, if it was good enough for Jesus to connect with people like this, I think it's good enough for us. So let's challenge ourselves a little bit. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.